Novel Life, a podcast about living life in a novel way. I am Lauren Ruth Martin, a licensed professional counselor in Tennessee. Remember, we chat about a lot of therapy things. This is not therapy, so make sure you get a therapist if you want one. Let's start the show. I just want to start out by saying thank y'all so much for being awesome and being patient. Um, Last week, I tried to record this episode three times, and I just kept having things get in the way. And it was super frustrating. And sometimes it just be like that. So thank you guys so much. Um, I'm really excited about this week. Um, It was actually inspired by a few messages I got on Instagram. So I'm, I'm excited to, you know, dive into this week's episode. But I just wanted to catch up with you on some things that I've noticed over the past week. And, you know, I just posted about this on Instagram, but I am realizing the power of doing this week. Um, just getting things done, not for the like not for the pride of getting it done, but mainly just to declutter my brain. Um, I think I don't know if you're experiencing this, but in my for me personally, this sort of quarantine safer at home, even though the restrictions are lifting in Tennessee. Um, we're now kind of going into this, what what does now look like? What does my present look like? And there's still a lot of uncertainty as things progress. Um, but, you know, I had to sit down with my husband and say, hey, we need to sit down and start making a plan and start making some decisions because, you know, what life was before coronavirus isn't really doable. Um, And we need to start formulating our life like this isn't temporary. And I'm going to be honest with you, February to like April, I had been sort of operating under this mentality of this is short term, this is uh, more, it's an adjustment. And I didn't really look long, I didn't go long game this time. And now that the long game is going to be consistently adjusting, I have found myself really having to go into the constant um, behavior of committed action. You know, what makes sense in my value set for the current context. Um, so I I called people to make appointments. I'm canceling um, different services that we've used. I am you know, working with my husband to actually formulate a week by week, like time blocking schedule. I'm, you know, we're having discussions within our family about what this next phase looks like. I'm talking with my family that's in in another city about how we can visit each other in a safe way. And if that's even possible. And so instead of living in the sort of pullback, let's see how things shake out, this period of life is really proving to be one where there has to be a lot and I'm using acceptance and commitment therapy language, I'm having to use a lot of committed action, along with um, awareness of the present moment, and remembering what makes sense for our family right now and for myself. And that's not easy. And I really haven't been aware. I think I have been, but I haven't acknowledged just how draining that can be. 
And so if you're in that same boat, I just want to say like, hey, we're doing this together. And the sort of mindlessness that our decisions used to have to it, um, that's, that's kind of gone. And maybe the upside of this is that for all of us, we're going to become more intentional with how and where we spend our money. We're going to become more intentional of the content we consume. We're going to become more intentional of who we spend our time with, what has to go where. And and maybe that's, that's the cool side of all this is that really um, the committed action that I have been doing over the past few weeks has been truly within my values instead of kind of going with what the wind blows. Um, So yeah, there's that. We have a great show. We're going to dive into a question and then we're going to talk about touch and loneliness and the physical part of quarantine that I think people aren't really talking about. So stick around. If you've listened to the podcast, you're welcome to send me questions anytime on Instagram. You can find me at Novel Counseling and send me your questions. I'll answer them. Sometimes I don't answer them immediately. Sometimes I do. It just depends on where the wind blows. So the first question this week is asking for tips about fear for the future. And they also included that right now their main thing that they're doing is distracting. And here's the thing. Like, and I'm going to speak about this in a broad way. There is value in distraction. In fact, distraction as a skill is really helpful for if you have urges for unskillful behaviors or you're just in a really, really heavy, like high emotion place where you can't really be present. So even if you're in the midst of processing something intense like trauma or a flashback or, you know, intense grief in the moment. If you're in a really um, big, heavy headspace, you're not going to get a lot of new learning in if your brain isn't able to access it. And so by engaging in a behavior similar to distraction, it might be able to take you from a 10 to a more aware seven or eight. So there's value in distraction where distraction can get problematic. And this is what I'm imagining that you're asking in this question is when that's the only thing that you're doing. And in DBT, there's a section of skills called distress tolerance skills. And the first thing that we teach is that distress tolerance skills are not designed to be done every time we reach an emotional place. That's why there's also emotion regulation skills. And the idea is, is to know when is it, when is distraction helpful? And then when is it basically preventing me from going to a place of discomfort that can actually be helpful for me long term? And so if you're experiencing a lot of fear for the future and you're kind of doing the la 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 la, let's look at this shiny thing because I don't want to face the fear of the future. But you also don't want to completely throw yourself into all of that fear because that might not be productive either. I think giving yourself time to sit down and to reflect. And so this is a kind of a combo of standard DBTs coping ahead, like where you imagine the crisis and then what would happen, what would happen. And you're basically exposing yourself to realizing that no matter how bad of a crisis you're in, like if I have my foot cut off, 
that eventually, you know, I would go through a lot of pain, but then eventually I'd have a pretty like sparkly prosthetic foot and I would go about my life or I'd have no foot at all. And I'd just be known as the therapist with one foot. You know, it's sort of that like imagining the tragedy, but then the bounce back after. And so with that, there's coping ahead, but then there's also self-inquiry and, um, and asking yourself, like, what is this discomfort showing me? What exactly am I fearful of? Is there value in this? Is this about something different? Um, where did I learn that I can't face things that I fear? Or where did I learn that fear is necessarily a bad thing? So then you can kind of address more, you can go with it with a sense of curiosity and see, is it really about the scenario that you're fearing or is it about fear itself? Or is it about, um, uh, is it about other things and giving yourself a few minutes just to see where you do get uncomfortable without necessarily falling apart or having to resolve it. Um, when it comes to avoidance and if we're engaging in a lot of distraction, The other thing too that we might have to consider or it might be worth considering is are we trying to avoid failure or are we trying to avoid doing something because it's uncomfortable that we have like a lack of knowledge with it. So I see um, a handful of teenagers and sometimes there's this delay in taking their driver's test because they they're not confident in that they can pass it, but they also don't know some of the information, even though they have the information at their fingertips, but they have a little bit more like questions on application. Um, and so then they don't ask and they're overwhelmed with figuring it out themselves. And that's where also considering if there are things that you're fearing and you're not sharing it with anyone, that's a whole lot of fear to work through without anybody giving you a guiding light. Um, and so when, when we think about basic tips for fear, all of it involves a degree of exposure. You get to have a say in what angle you go at that exposure. Is it facing it head on and imagining the worst case scenario and seeing that you will bounce back at some point? Is it leaning into it with some curiosity and maybe even questioning your response to fear? Is it outing yourself to somebody that you know and being able just to talk it out in general and sit with it? Is it going into active problem solving and seeing that maybe there's a solution there that you haven't thought of or maybe you just need to to, to do the dang thing and see what happens? Fear more than likely involves a degree of exposure. But what we don't have to do is get crazy with the exposure. Even thinking about problem solving, that might be enough for you in the day. And then you reward yourself for doing something different. That's something that I love in Radically Open DBT is that whenever we try something new, even if we fall on our face, we reward ourselves or at least give ourselves a pat on the back for doing something different. Because the older that we get, the harder that is to do. Or if we're really used to our routine and our structure and being in control, going to that place, that funky place is oftentimes like it's different and our body's going to respond to it. And we got to remind ourselves that what we're experiencing isn't inherently bad. And so that fear can, addressing that fear can look big or small. And whatever you do, 
have an active intention before you do it. Set a clear expectation so that you don't go into second guessing after and don't go at it alone. That's the biggest thing about fear is that we don't have to force our way into exposing it because if we do, then there's a chance that we might overshoot and then cause ourselves a little bit more damage in the long run. So pace yourself, give yourself time to get curious about it and find a friend or someone that you care about to face that fear with you. Um, It might actually be fun. Oh my gosh, what if facing fear was fun? That would be amazing. Now, this topic was inspired um, due to a post that I made last week, and part of it said, ask for a hug. And the message that I received was from someone that basically said, like, due to the safer at home, due to quarantine and their own health issues, they have been quarantining alone, and they've not been able to have a hug. And that is just, it's devastating them. And so how do they navigate the potential risks with the need for that physical touch and the need for that, um, for that sort of that confirmation. And it it just really got me thinking that I, I think that's an element of quarantine and an element of safer at home that isn't necessarily discussed a lot, or at least I haven't seen it um, be discussed on on social media or you know with the content that I consume. And I think that's like the the most difficult part. You know, I think about one of my really close friends who also had been solo quarantining and they, you know, they have a dog, but that, that desire to get out and be around people and just to have that physical hug. I mean, it can, it can feel like you're starving and that, that loneliness is to me now that this is going from temporary to more of a long-term suggestion of social distancing. Um, It's figuring out how do we navigate that, especially because loneliness is, and there's a ton of studies, you can go Google it, but loneliness before this pandemic was a huge a huge concern among the therapeutic community, but also just in in public health in general. Um, We, a lot of times they talk about loneliness in the aging population because most of them are either at home alone um, or they're in care facilities where they do have interaction, but it's not with their, and in radically open DBT, we call them tribe. So they're, they're not around their tribe. They're around the tribe that's there. And so when the suggestion in an already lonely world is to continue being alone, that that is a tough thing to balance. And 
you know, first and foremost, it's better to be lonely than to be dead. And I know that sounds really extreme. So and I'm saying that in the fact that what I'm offering and what I'm talking about with this is super broad brush. And that's where the the step tip one for this is if you have health issues, if you don't have health issues, but you're concerned about the risk of of being around people that you care about or, or getting that that physical hug or getting that that level of connection. Like if you have a primary care, talk to your primary care doctor or consult with a doctor because because that is where if we go to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like the very bottom one, and I'm having to Google it because I don't remember it by heart. Dang it. But the very, like the main thing is that our physical health and our physical safety is first and foremost. And if we're not taking care of that, right, then we're not, we're not setting ourselves up to f- to be psychologically healthy. So yeah, the very bottom, the the top thing that we need the most, we need our physiological needs met. And so before we go into safety and love and belonging, we have to make sure that what we do is not putting us at further risk for our physical health to deteriorate. And so once you talk to your doctor about that, um, one thing that Canada is doing, they're actually calling them uh, double bubble families. And you know, so some people are starting to expand their circle to one. Um, Some people are starting to do the social distance gatherings or incorporating that a little bit more. Um, The Atlantic had a great article that came out this week about quarantine fatigue. And I guess this is what speaks to what we do now. If we are in this context of immense loneliness and lacking that physical interaction is that we have to start going into what's called what I call harm reduction. But also in the article that the Atlantic mentioned is that we haven't received guidelines on how to if we're going to engage in social interactions, what are the best practices for that? Maybe they don't have the evidence for it. But I think that's where we have to start consulting with our wise mind and putting in the information that we do know into practice and figuring out what works for us. Maybe it's having somebody that we can bubble with that will have the same expectation. Like, let's say you're a person that has health risks, and you've talked to your doctor, and they've said, you know what, like, if you need a hug, like find somebody that you trust that can be your designated hugger. And you may have to help yourself to this person and say, hey, you know, if you've been quarantining, I've been quarantining solo, I, I need a quarantine buddy, like, can we be each other's quarantine buddy? And you guys go at this together and you become super diligent about even more diligent about what you do and in order to have that sort of connection and interaction. Um, Another thing, and this is what I suggested to the person that wrote me, if the idea of being in contact with someone is too risky, this is where using um, skills to activate social safety and imagery. So this would be lessons um, three and four in the RODBT manual. But one thing I suggested to them was to um, conjure up memories of a time that you had a really good hug and just sit with that and practice mindfulness and just uh, immerse yourself in the memory and see how that shows up in your body. 
you know, does that recreate maybe not the weight and maybe not the sensation of being hugged, but the sort of after effects in that. And that's kind of like a modification of what the RODBT loving kindness meditation is, is where we pull up these feelings of loving kindness with the intention of having our body and brain experience social safety in the context where we can have complete you know, understanding and, um, and control over it. And so by having those memories of when you've had a really good hug and meditating on that, we might be able to also have some of those extra benefits of it without the risk of being um, in with other people. And, you know, I really think this has us sort of recognizing the importance of, um, of our more casual interactions with people. You know, if you worked in an office space, and you would give high fives to your team, or if you were a hugger, you could give people hugs, or, you know, gathering to the places like where you would work out or where you may worship or where you would go study like that sheer communal feeling. I think we're all recognizing like the true benefit it has for us. And Um, whenever I teach people about the levels of intimacy and relationships, one thing that I emphasize is that it is just important to be somebody's level one, that it is somebody's level 10. And this example is a huge example of how our lower level, like our lower levels of intimacy relationships are just as necessary for our psychological health as our higher level ones. Because these lower level relationships, we might actually get more exposure to um, when we see people once a week or even once a month and we get that that hug, like, oh my gosh, like I can't, I can't imagine, like I, I am so excited to one day see my friends to where I could be able to hug them. Um, in fact, I was on a friend's podcast a few weeks ago and it was so cool to get to see her through Zoom and have a talk. But, you know, she's a hugger. And to be honest, I'm not as much of a hugger. But I will say it felt very weird to be in her presence and not just get a hug from her in that way. Um, It's very weird to only see a small group of people and um, people that I love and I care about. And I, I do get that. I do get that physical interaction that a lot of people don't. But just the like the the head nods and the hellos and just feeling connected on many different levels. Um, I think that, you know, I'm trying to picture what it is like to be quarantining completely alone and, and actually being okay with being alone. But then all of a sudden, you're grieving the fact that if you wanted a hug, you can't get it right now. And I know that a lot of the recommendations are in the realm of social distancing. And I think that's like where assessing for yourself, you know, is there a way that I can safely get a hug? Or is it important for me to take this risk? Because, you know, my mental health is so important too. And really only you can determine that you can gather information, you can weigh the pros and cons, but only you can get that. And I think that if we take the pandemic out of this, 
I think that what we have to begin to recognize too is the importance of touch in relationships. Um, in RODBT, we talk about the three channels of emotional expression and touch is one of those channels. And if you think about those times like where you were with somebody that you cared about and you were going through a really hard time and like even when they would just put your their hand on your shoulder and say like, hey, I'm here for you. Or even if somebody, you know, scooted an inch closer to you just to be close to you, like touch isn't nothing. And I don't know if it's, I I think that we have in our culture, we have really expanded our personal bubbles. And again, I'm not a hugger. And so I really love bubbles. But I, I think I'm having to in myself really reassess my bubble with those that I know. And I wonder if for us as a culture that we have almost um, denied our ability to ask people for a hug or to ask people for any sort of physical affection um, out as a possible overcorrection Um to things that have happened in environments like work environments and religious environments, like where touch is almost a no, um, like no go zone. And again, I can totally understand why that's happened because people have twisted it into a way that it can be dangerous. But again, I think the overcorrection isn't really doing us any good either. Um, you know, I think back when I worked in the restaurant industry, which is full of like a lack of boundaries, but you know, when you had a table, like basically cuss you out, you know, it was nice, you know, when you're in the <laughs> supply closet crying for a coworker to come in and just give you a hug and be like, Hey, it happens, you know? And I will say viscerally, there is a different experience to somebody looking you in the eye and saying, Hey, it happens. And then somebody like, you know, politely putting their hand across your shoulder and saying like, Hey, we got this. Like that, uh, that, that communication, like that communication through touch is something that we are wired to respond to. And if we've had bad experiences with that, then maybe we need to begin exposing ourselves to positive touch, to positive intimacy on that level in order to get comfortable with it again. And I think for those of us that are in the boat where we don't have access, what is the word? I'm just going to say access, immediate access to touch. I think we need to express what that's like. And I think we need to share that with people that may have access to touch so that they know, you know, if they, if they want that. You know, I think about my friend that quarantined on her own and then she was able to go see her family. But like what that must have been like for six weeks to not only have no human interaction verbally, but also to not have that physical affection is is extraordinary. And so if you're in that boat right now and you haven't been receiving physical touch, I just want you to know that what you're doing is really hard. It is really hard. And it is okay if that is the biggest struggle that you have right now. And I think for yourself, validating that and recognizing that it is a hardwired human need, 
because not only are we designed to be in tribe, we also need that reinforcement that we are in tribe and that we belong. And if we don't have that tactile experience, our body is trying to reconcile with our mind that we still belong. You know, I mean, if we think about it that way, if we're not getting that tactile confirmation that we are still in tribe, there's a chance that your body is trying to, you know, tell your brain like, hey, are, are you in tribe? Are you alone? Like what's going on? You know, it's, it's like when you lose your phone and all of a sudden you, you realize that your phone is gone and you do the find my iPhone thing in order to detect it. Like, so if you're in that, place of not having human touch. And then you notice that your body is either feeling more sensitive, if re- feeling out of it or some type of way, like there's a chance it's because your body is trying to do the find my iPhone and tell your brain like, hey, you're still in tribe, you're still connected. And so I think that's where doing these mindfulness exercises are like where you're conjuring up times where you have been in touch or you have been in tribe can help your body and brain like remember and have that visceral experience that you're not alone on an island, even if you literally are right now, that you're not on an island forever. And that you're not on an island because you've been shamed away, but that you're on an island in order to keep yourself safe in the long term. So you know, to recap kind of where we're going with this, if what we're looking at is a little bit more of a long game, we have to be able to increase our resources for when we are alone to remind our body that we can access social safety and be in social safety. We then need to begin revisiting and almost coming up with a plan that can potentially increase our access to safe means of touch and safe ways of community in order to begin living in that gray to balance the quarantine fatigue that makes sense in the context of your life. And then you also need to check with the people that can speak to you like your doctor, like your therapist, like any sort of provider that can ensure that what you're doing is okay for you in the long term. We've got to start thinking long game here because right now we don't have the guarantee that we can re-enter the community without any risk. And touch is essential for us maintaining our mental health through that. much for tuning in. It's always good to hear from you guys and get feedback on the podcast. If you are listening, do me a huge favor and review this podcast, um, rate it, review it on whatever platform you use. If you could share it, um, whether it's one episode in particular or asking for them to subscribe to, that would mean a lot to me. Um, if you do a rating or a review, please send a screenshot to me, um, send it at novel counseling so that I can recognize you helping me out. I might start doing some giveaways down the road. Um, we'll figure it out. Anyway, we're heading out have the week you're going to have. Stay safe.